Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra $0.25 a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a $0.25 a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to episode five of I Am Steve R. It's been a while since I've done this show, and uh, I don't have a really good excuse, except that I've been exceptionally busy. Some of you guys know that I'm uh, finishing up book number four, and then, uh, you know, we've had some uh, some recruiting stuff to kind of keep up with. But uh, it's been a busy stretch for me, but I, I have uh, neglected to do this show, and I apologize. I will do my best to be a little more regular. I've had a lot of people reach out and say, hey, Steve, when's the next episode? And I'll say, yeah, I think I may do it this day or that day, and then something comes up, and... Um, it's it's been really busy, but uh, I've had a lot of things on my mind lately, and uh, had a chance to uh, to visit with some friends in recovery, and you know some topics came up that I wanted to address with some of you all. And I was thinking last night, I actually went to a show last night, and uh, on the way home, you know, we kind of got into a discussion about, you know, the one of those things that happens in recovery is they they always tell you to stick with the winners, you know, stick with the winners, look and see what other people have that you want and then do what they did to get it you know there's no shortcuts I mean you know it's like when I first got clean and sober you know I I wanted to have a year sober immediately you know what I mean it's like I I felt like that I had some knowledge and I wanted people to uh, to respect me as a guy that had some uh, had some experience but the truth of the matter is, is I really didn't have any experience and I didn't have a lot of knowledge I may have had some street smarts but I didn't know a lot about recovery I knew a lot about drinking, I knew a lot about drugging, and I know a little bit about not drinking and drugging, but that's just a small part of the problem. I've discussed it on the show before, there's so many people out there that have this false assumption that, you know what, if we could just get him or her to stop drinking, everything would be okay, and that's simply not true. That is simply not true. Drinking and drugging is the symptom of a bigger problem, and that's what the 12 steps helps you identify and deal with I was in a discussion recently about that very topic some people say well you know AA didn't work for me 
And used to, I would have, uh, you know, the kid gloves. You know, I guess, you know, when I've got over 29 years clean and sober now, and so I don't have to pull the punches anymore. I'm not overly concerned about you liking me in the first place. And so I just tell people the truth. I just tell them the truth. and say, well, AA didn't work for me. Well, did you work for AA? Did you get a sponsor? Did you go to meetings? Did you work the steps? Well, no, I didn't do any of those things. Well, then, then it's not AA's fault that it didn't work for you. You didn't work for the miracle, your own miracle. And here's the thing about that is, you know, AA and NA don't have the corner of the market on sobriety. There are some people that string together long periods of abstinence, you know, through church or through other programs. And you know what? God bless them. Whatever works, works. But there's so many people out there looking to build a better mousetrap. It's like, well, you know, I, I don't know if I need to do all that. You know, and here's the deal. Chances of you having or maintaining a long period of sobriety without a support system, without identifying the problem, without working to correct those defects of character, and the fact that, you, you know, staying sober is pretty slim. It just doesn't work that way. And so what I'm going to ask you to do today in the time that we have together is to open your mind a little bit and not think about all the things you disagree with and think about, you know what, maybe he's right. You know, maybe he's right. Maybe, what, what if I completely sold out to the program? What if I completely sold out to self-improvement? What if I completely sold out to getting better? Because your best efforts got you here. You know, your line of thinking, your behavior, your decision-making process brought you here. And for me, it was a self-will run riot. You know, I thought the rules didn't apply to me. I thought, you know what, well, I can handle it. You know, that you guys might be quitters. You guys might be weak. You guys might not be able to handle it. But I can lead a functional life and still I go out here and, you know, chase drugs and alcohol and vicarious living and, uh, and be okay, because I thought I was above that. I thought that I was immune from consequences. Because let's be honest here. You know, I didn't stop drinking and using because I didn't like drinking and using. It's just not true. I enjoyed the way it made me feel. I enjoyed the escape from my problems, from myself, from all my defects of character. I enjoyed the escape that intoxication brought me. And so that was not the impetus for me to get into recovery. It wasn't that I woke up one day and said, you know what, I think I'm going to get clean and sober. It's not how it happened. I wasn't one of those drunks and drug addicts that saw the light. I felt the heat. I had consequences for my actions. And so for me, you know, the, the, the reason and the motivation that I had to stop drinking and using was that the consequences of my behavior had such a negative impact on my life that I really had no choice but to give up drinking and drugging. And for many of us, I believe that's the case. You, you have the loss of friendships, loss of relationships, loss of income or jobs, loss of self-esteem, self-respect. You know, everything, everything is affected negatively. And so part of that process is one of the things that I want to address today you know, when I was a weed-smoking fornicator, everybody around me was weed-smoking fornicators. I, I kind of laugh, like nowadays I see these kids that tweet these memes and say, you know, wake and bake, I, I, I think I invented that. You know, when I was on my own, you know, I woke up every day and, and I got high, you know, j- just to make it through the day. 
And that's the thing that I think about, too. There are so many people that say, well, you know, and, and I, I can't take credit for this. I read uh, a meme that somebody shared that, that some things that Russell Brand said. And I don't, I don't really care what you think about, you know, his acting or whatever, his politics. But his, uh, his stance on recovery is very solid. But he said, you know, here's the thing. You know, people say that, you know, alcohol is a gateway drug to this. Marijuana is a gateway drug to this. And uh, in many respects, I think people have, uh, have kind of missed the boat on that. As he goes on to say, it's trauma and abuse and all the things that go with it. But the underlying reason that we drink and use is pain. It's our inability, our unwillingness to process pain. And so we resort to something else. And so that's the gateway. Because, you know, if, if we could just you know, smoke marijuana, and then all of our problems were easier to deal with, then everybody would just smoke marijuana. You would never take the steps towards the heavier drugs because the solution had already been found. You had already would have found the remedy to your poison. But what happens is, is what we find out in time is, okay, yeah, I, I smoked marijuana, I got high, and so it gives me a chance to forget a little bit. Well, then in time, our pain persists and it continues to find us and so now all of a sudden it's like well I've got to do something else and so you go find something else whether it be crack or you know crystal meth or hallucinogenics and you know, I used to love doing LSD and ecstasy and things like that but then eventually that's not enough and so addiction at that point takes you and pulls you deeper and deeper and deeper into deeper into more drinking and or harder drugs and then you're left with your pain and the throes of addiction and so what eventually became eventually what began as your remedy becomes your poison because now all of a sudden I've still got the pain to deal with I still got all my character defects and now I've created all this other drama for myself because of the uh, you know the the investments that I made that never paid any dividend or provided any benefit for me. Not anything long-lasting. You know, in the moment, it feels right. But at some point, you sober up. And then what happens is it becomes, okay, well, you know, the, the only time that I have any relief from this is when I'm intoxicated. And even that's not enough. But at some point, I sober up. And so what you do is you just make, basically make a decision to stay high or drunk all the time because it is a progressive illness. I mean, you begin to think about, you know, your, your own pain, sensory reflexes and things like that. You know, if you put your hand in a fire to warm yourself, you're outside and, you know, let's say your hands are, you know, on the verge of frostbite or whatever. And so, okay, well, this fire will warm me. Well, if I get too close to it and eventually I lose the ability to feel the pain associated with the fire, I'll never pull my hand back. And so there is a reflex in all of us. And some of it of a spiritual nature that'll tell you, you know what, this is harmful to me. And so the better part of that is, is the company that we keep, as I spoke about being, you know, surrounded by weed smoking fornicators. I know a lot of those people, you know. It's funny, though, you create your own circle of influence. At least I did. And so when I was out there and I smoked and I dropped acid and that sort of stuff, you know, the people that I surrounded myself with had similar habits. 
And the people that didn't have those habits or didn't support my way of living, I just kind of pushed them out because I didn't want to hear the lecture. You know what I'm saying? I didn't want to have anybody tell me, oh, young, you're living wrong. You're doing this. You're wrong. You're, you know, you're going to, you're going to kill yourself. You're going to hurt yourself. And so you find a way to mute those voices. And if that means you don't talk to them, if that means that uh, you stop interacting with them, you know, that's, uh, that's what you do. You just shut all that down because the louder voices in your head are people that support your behavior because they're exhibiting the same characteristics you are. Uh, A prime example of that is once I got clean and sober and I started going to church, well, then all of a sudden my circle of friends, the people that I spent time with, the people I went to lunch with, the people that, uh, you know, I visited with and played church league basketball with, all those people had a Jesus fish on their minivan. Because those are the people that I chose to associate with. It's not like it was all just, you know, some accident. And so if when we are in the throes of addiction and alcoholism, if our, you know, our circle of friends, the people are around us, are the company we choose. And so if we have some power in that, then there is some hope and belief that, you know what, I can change that. And you can And when I got clean and sober, I made a clean break. I did. And there are still some people to this day, 30 years later, that do not forgive me for that. And you know what? I'm perfectly okay with that because I had to get selfish. You know, some of our, quote, friends, Dr. Evil quotes, friends, are not friends. They're just co-conspirators in our demise. They're just basically, you know, scavengers. They're just people that, that hang out with us because... As long as we are running in the same company, we don't have to look ourselves in the mirror and really acknowledge who we are. When I got clean and sober, I had, when, I, when I first went to rehab, I had no less than five different friends that said, you know what, Steve, you're not an addict. You don't, you don't, you're not an alcoholic. You drink like we do. They're right. I did. Because they were all alcoholics and drug addicts too. And so I think it's important to acknowledge that. You know, it, it didn't happen by accident. You know, when I was in high school, you know, I was surrounded by people that went to church. I was part of the church youth group, you know, I, you know, played sports. And so I ran with people that had a shared interest. You know, I'd go to practice, I'd, I'd go to workouts, and, you know, I'd go to youth events and things like that. But when my interest changed, so did my circle of friends. Because I didn't want to be around those people that would call me on my nonsense. I didn't want to be around anybody that would hold me accountable because I didn't want to hear it. It's like, it's my life, it's my decision. And that's one of the things, too, that about today's society, and I don't want to sit here and have a uh, you know, commentary on society at large, but there's all these people that say, you know what, that's just who I am, and if you love me and you're going to be with me, then you're going to have to accept me as who I am. And, you know, there is some truth in some of that. But that is also an excuse for us to ignore our defects of character. You know, sometimes the behavior that we exhibit and sometimes the things that we do are negative. And that's what the program kind of teaches you. As you go through the steps, especially the fourth step, and you begin to identify these things and say, you know what, I was wrong here. My decision-making was wrong. My actions were wrong. My belief was wrong. But when you're caught up in, you know, a drunken stupor, you can't see that. But as we go through the program and we get restored to sanity, all of a sudden we can see our previous behavior in the proper context. 
Because we as alcoholics and addicts, we can rationalize and justify anything. There is nothing that is beneath us. Nothing. And so when you go through these things, you begin to think, well, you know, I I drank and I did this because of what you did to me, because of how you made me feel. And that's not to say that there is not some trauma. There absolutely is. And that's one of the points I made earlier. There are people that are survivors of sexual abuse, that become hypersexual, that turn to drugs and alcohol, which leads to promiscuous living. And all of that, in many respects, is rooted in that abuse. That's the reality. There are people that go through traumatic experiences in life. There are people that may see someone they love die a horrific death, that it is too much for them to process. They turn to drugs and alcohol. That's not to say that you can't recover from that. That's not to say that you can't find a way to make your peace with it. You never get over it, but you can find a way to get on with it. But when we're drinking and using and we're not really really to face our pain, we just compartmentalize it and kind of push it down. And it's important to kind of acknowledge that. I have so many people that I deal with. I, I get phone calls and texts every single week from strangers. Every week. Either somebody finds me on Facebook or they call me or a friend shares a number or whatever and somebody calls me and says, hey, listen, here's what's going on with me. And the very first thing that I hear is a litany of excuses. Ex- not reasons. Excuses. There are some people that have legitimate reasons for their pain. There's many of us it's self-inflicted. But there are other people that have been victimized. And those people need professional help. And I don't say that in a negative way. I say that to encourage you. If you are a person that has experienced that in your life, you need to go speak to a licensed professional. And, and I, I'm going to say this as honest as I can. And if it hurts some people's feelings, you know, I'm, I'm okay with that. If I step on your toes, I hope it hurts. It's not your friend at church. That's not to say they can't love you. It's not to say they can't listen to you. Those people are not educated. They are not prepared to deal with serious sexual and childlike abuse. It's just not in their wheelhouse. They, they will have the best of intentions. And they may help you in the moment. But if you want to deal with this nonsense once and for all, you need to go see a licensed professional. I know it's expensive. I know sometimes uh, insurance won't cover some of that stuff. I understand that. But if you really want to get better, you'll find a way to go do it. What is more important? What in your life is more important than to find a way to resolve the conflict within yourself when you have been victimized? There are also these crises that pop up in life at times. You know, there, there are things that happen beyond our control that are difficult to process. And so for me, I found people that were kind of similarly situated. And so when these people contact me, it reminds me of that circle of friends that I had. Because there was always an excuse. Oh, well, she's just acting stupid. She's crazy, man. Let's have another drink. Right? It's like, well, I just don't know what I'm going to do. You know, boss is on my back or whatever. Man, let's go get high. You know, like that's going to make anything better. But when these people reach out to me, they say, you know, well, you know, this happened and that happened. And uh, I'm going to give you a story, too. And I'm going to change some of the details because I want to protect these people. But uh, I, I know that they would endorse me sharing some of this with you because this is some, some serious life-changing type moments. I had a friend of a friend that called me. 
about their son and said, hey, listen, my son's an addict. I need some help. We don't know what to do. And then for the next hour, I listened to this person blame the ex-wife, blame the boss, blame the new girlfriend, blame the divorce lawyer, blame the judge that presided over the divorce. And then in the meantime, they were basically paying this person's bills. And so I told her, I said, uh, I know you think you're helping him, but you're killing him. She's like, what? And I said, well, I've sat here and listened to you make excuses for every negative thing that's ever happened in his life. At no point has he ever been responsible for anything. I said, so not only do you believe that, you have enabled him to believe that, that he is a victim rather than a volunteer. He chose this life. He knows that it's wrong. And you have basically enabled him to justify that because you see him as a victim. And you're like, wow, listen, life's been so unfair to you. Let me pay your cable bill. Let me pay your car insurance. Let me pay your phone bill. Let me pay your rent. It's good work if you can get it right. If somebody wants to pay mine, I'll I'll give you my address. You can just pay it. I'm responsible for myself, but hey, if you if you want to, you know, you want to make a donation to the cause, then then I'll take it. Who wouldn't? But in the middle of all of this, I began to find out this person was a very very severe drug addict. It wasn't just as simple as they'd had some bad luck. They're a drug addict. And they're experiencing some very extreme consequences as a result of their drug addiction. So I told her, I said, here's what you need to do. Gave her a few steps and said, I'm not one on advice, but if it were me, here's what I would suggest. And she kind of balked at some of them. She goes, well, I don't want him to die. I said, he is going to die one way or another. And he will probably die sooner if you continue to pay his rent. Because at what point... Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around 200 to $300. Wow. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Point is he going to have some consequences 
and then realize, you know what, i got to get myself together. Because as I've said many times on this show and others, people without consequences in their life have no reason to change. If I can drink and drug and mom and dad are going to pay the freight, I'm going to keep drinking and drugging. There, there is some tough love required in every bit of this. You've heard that phrase. It's almost become a cliche. You know, that's part of the recovery process for everybody. At some point, you've got to cut the apron strings. And I'd sit here and talk to you and you'd think, well, is this guy 19 or 20? No, he was in his late 30s. He's a grown man. He's a grown man. It's not some young person that's kind of lost their way and life kind of crushed them because they weren't ready and weren't equipped to deal with it. This is a guy that had, for decades had been a, a drug addict. And his parents had enabled him every step of the way. And so I finally told her. She, she kept telling me that I was wrong. And I said, like, yeah, listen, I got, you know, at that time, I guess 27, 28 years sobriety. And I said, you know, listen, it's clear that you know more than me. And uh, I said, I'll tell you what I'll do, though. I said, uh, when all this is said and done, I'll come hold your hand at his funeral. Because that's, what you, that's what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen. Well, she hangs up on me. She calls me back a half hour later and apologizes and says, you know what, I thought about what you said, and you're right. So they decide then, okay, we're going to give you 60 days, and we're going to stop paying your rent. We're going to stop paying your cell phone bill. We're going to stop paying your car insurance. So you got 60 days to kind of figure this out. And incredibly, within a week's time, he decides, Mom, I need help. I got to get some help. I'm not going to be able to do this without your help. I got to get some help. And I wish that I could believe that it was a sincere attempt to get treatment. I don't believe that it was. I think it was uh, one of those addictive things that we do, when, you know, because we're such great liars. You know, we're so dramatic in everything we do. I think it was like, well, I'll go to rehab. And it was really a way to try to manipulate them and to continue to pay the bills, right? Because his money was going to drugs and alcohol, strip clubs, things like that. Mom, yeah, he, was, he never grew up. He was, he was a Peter Pan type drug addict. And so to their credit, they say, you know what? Well, you really got to go. So if you're really serious about this, we're going to go find a way. We're going to go find a place for you to go and we'll pay for it. And you know what? I don't know if there's anything else worth paying for. But they worked it out and they got him into a treatment program. And after two days, he AMA'd. And so he calls them and says, hey, you know what? After talking to me for a couple of days, they figured out that I wasn't a drug addict. And so there's a part of me, and I want to be careful how I say this. I would rather be a drug addict and have a program of recovery than to be a complete deadbeat and drag to society. Because that's the alternative, right? If I'm an addict, then there's treatment from that behavior. If I'm just a lazy, you know, good-for-nothing moocher, there's not much treatment for that. I'd rather be an addict and have a program of recovery and have licensed professionals that could help me find a way to get clean and sober and rectify this behavior and allow me to be self-sufficient and independent in the future. It's almost like as if being, you know, a, you know, a self-loathing, self-centered mooch in your late 30s was more was more easier to uh to digest than being a drug addict i guess because the stigma behind all that and to me it just it it makes no sense to me i'd like to tell you this story has a happy ending but it does not i'd like to tell you that after a couple days that the mom and dad they kind of hung tough and said you know what we gave you an opportunity we're done we're cutting you off financially you're on your own 
They never got the chance because six days later he was found dead of a drug overdose. A part of the problem is it took so long to bring some accountability to his life. So if you, have a, you are a person out there that has someone in your life, don't wait. Cause, and I, listen, I'm from South Mississippi, you know, where we just don't talk about difficult things. That's just how life is. We just don't talk about it. And so basically there is this, uh, you, know, you know, this silence, this wall of silence because we're afraid to be honest about what is happening in our lives. It's too difficult to deal with. We don't know where to turn. And so we'd rather just not talk about it. I'm a big fan of awkward conversations. Huge, huge fan of awkward conversations. Because that's where the progress comes from. The progress comes from us talking about the things we do not want to talk about. Which goes back to the earlier point of the show. So we surround ourselves with people that will tell us what we want to hear. In order for us to truly recover, and and I don't care how long you've been in recovery, you need to affiliate yourself with people that will be honest with you. Even if you don't like what they're saying. And you need to be honest with yourself. Part of that conversation that I had last night with a great friend in recovery was along those lines. It's like, you know, one of the things that we do is once we get clean and sober and we get restored to sanity and we embrace a rigorous honesty, we begin to talk to people differently because we see ourselves differently. We're not so scared anymore, you know, to tell you the truth because we've had a full dose of truth and we found, you know, what that we can take it. One of my favorite lyrics in the world was written by a band called Alter Bridge. And the lyric says, is who's to say we won't survive the truth? I get chills even saying that to you because I, I think it is very, very profound because we delay facing the truth because we don't know if we can survive the truth. I'd rather die in the truth than live in a lie. That's how I feel. I mean that. I, I, I tell people all the time, I would rather live in a, man, in a tent with the truth than a mansion with a lie. Because at least I know who I am and what I got. You know, people are going to disappoint us. People are going to betray us. People are going to cheat on us. You know, people are going to conspire against us at times. Those things are going to happen. That's life on life's terms. It's part of the human condition. Not everybody that we deal with is going to be a great person. We want them to be. But here's the thing. When you start telling people the truth, you change the reality of your circle of influence. Because people that aren't fans of the truth will no longer associate with you. And you will begin to attract other truth tellers. So as you improve yourself, you improve those people around you. Because the ones that really want to be with you, all of a sudden when they see that you've embraced the truth and you're willing to have the difficult conversation and say, hey, listen, I just want to let you know, the other day you said this and it really pissed me off. And so here's what we're going to do and here's what we're not going to do. People aren't used to that behavior. People are used to, well, I don't want any drama, so I'll just kind of move on. And I'm not saying you got to go out there and be a jerk. Sometimes, sometimes keeping the peace, I, 
is, is the better part of things. And I, I share with people, you know, some of them are my greatest achievements in life being able to bite my tongue. You got to pick your battles. I mean, you don't want to be, you know, grading on somebody on every little single thing. Where are we going to lunch? Well, I don't know. What do you want? You know. But when there are real issues in life, if there are things that are eating your lunch, there is no point internalizing that. It's not going to get better. It's just like all the things that drove us to drink in the first place. If you internalize it, you're the only one that feels it. And if you could fix it, you already would have. And so you start embracing rigorous truth. You start embracing truth in words, thought, and deeds. You're going to be amazed at how things change. One of the things that I want to share with you too and everybody has had these moments in their life, some more than others. Everybody's had these moments where when you finally say it, you finally say it, you say, you know what, forget the consequences. So what if they fire me? So what if they break up with me? So what if they don't want to talk to me anymore? And, and it gets to the point where the truth is more important than the potential consequences. And you finally say how you really feel. It is the greatest feeling in the world. It is. And then you find out pretty soon when you tell the truth, all of a sudden we begin to move towards resolution. Rather than resentment, we, we trend to resolution. Because now once we've crossed the river and we've burned the boats, we have no choice but to either leave the relationship or repair it. But we're not going to continue to have the status quo. The status quo is what kills us. The status quo is what gets us drunk is we sit here and suffer in silence and internalize our pain, internalize the conflict within us, we're only making ourselves sicker. And so when you go out there and say, you know, listen, I, I love you, but I've got a problem with this. I've got, I've got a problem with how this was handled. And you, and you know what? Maybe I'm seeing this wrong, so I need you to frame it up for me. And there are a lot of people out there that have no clue that they pissed you off. They have no clue that you resent them. They have no clue that they have exhibited some behavior that has been somewhat offensive to you. They don't know. And I can't fix you until I know you have a problem. I can't resolve the conflict until I know that we're at conflict. And that's where the whole honesty comes from. I'm going to be honest with you. I am upset with you about this. We need honesty in our lives. We need the people around us to tell us the truth. You know, when I was in retail furniture business for many, many years, one of my employees uh, came and talked to me after, one, you know, they had these uh, the, the, the break room powwows from all the malcontents. You know what I'm talking about. You know, you know, there's some people, everybody has those people at work that are like super balled in, do a great job. And there are other people that are not bought in. They're just trying to get by doing the minimum effort right everybody knows those people and so i had you know basically put a directive down i was unhappy about the performance of the store about a couple things and so i addressed it and i laid the law down i said okay this is how it's going to be either you know get right or get left and so a little bit later they all go back after the staff meeting they're all having all run the coffee and you know smoking cigarettes and all that sort of stuff and everybody's got you know something to say and one of my employees and it was crazy because it got back to me, it was one of the employees that I least expected to say something. It gets back to me, this guy says, you know what, the only, he said, anybody that doesn't like Mr. Steve is somebody that doesn't like the truth. And I thought, man, that is the greatest compliment that anybody could ever give me. He said, because Mr. Robertson's going to tell you the truth. Good, bad, or indifferent, he's going to tell you the truth. 
I think that is the greatest thing, you know, outside of saying that I've always loved wide open, you know, love with my whole heart. I'm going to tell you the truth. And I'm glad that I have that reputation because for years I was a very devious and dishonest person. You really couldn't believe me or trust me because everything that I told was, a, you know, it's kind of a self-protection type deal. You know, I would say things just to kind of get through the spin of the moment. You know, there's a crisis right now. What do I need to do or say to get through this crisis? And I would do it. I'd say whatever I had to say. You know, if I met some girl in a bar, I'd tell her whatever I had to say to get what I wanted from her. I mean, that's just, you know, it's what you did. It's what you do. When you live that life, when you live a life so dishonest, you will do or say whatever you want to and whatever you have to to get through the moment or to get what, you, what your desired objective is. If, you have, if, you, if it meant getting somebody to cry, if it getting somebody to smile, that's what you did. I was a manipulator. I own that. That's me being honest with myself and with you right here on this show. I was an unbelievable manipulator, and I was good at it because I was smart, because I could talk, because I could communicate, because I could articulate, and I could tell people what they wanted to hear. And as a result, the people around me were also devious and dishonest, and they stabbed me in the back, and they stole from me. They all tried to sleep with my girlfriends. You know, I mean, it just, you know, we talk about the bro code. There was no bro code back then. I think I'm the only one of my circle of friends that kept the, quote, bro code. Because even then there were some things that I wouldn't do. But as I began to mature and as I began to reach some experience, strength, and hope through the 12 steps, I began to realize, you know what, this being honest thing is actually the better way to be. My dad used to always tell me, if you always tell the truth, you never have to remember how you told it. And that sounds so simple. But, you know, it's so exhausting when you get so caught up in all the lies you told and, you know, all the things you did and said that, that were wrong. And you forget what you tell people and you run into them and the next thing you know, you've got, you've got to remember, okay, what did I tell this guy? What was, what was my excuse last time? And so as you run through that, there is a freedom in telling people the truth. Because I know at some point, you know, there's going to be somebody come back and say, hey, you know, you told me this and here's what's going on. And I don't have to remember what I told him. I don't have to kind of race through that anxiety and go through that whole exercise to kind of remember all that because the truth is the truth. The truth is never changing. This is what I did. This is what happened. Here is how I feel. It's the truth. It's so exhausting trying to live all those lies. So why do we keep doing it? Why why do we continue to do that? That's the freedom. And we talk about experiencing a new hope and a new freedom. A lot of it is just living a life of honesty, living a life of integrity. And so if you're a person that's been out there and you've run in these circles and you've had people that have tried to sleep with your your significant others and you've had people that have stole from you and you've had people that have broken into your house and you've had people that stole your drugs or drank up all your booze and that sort of stuff, you're going to be amazed in short order when you become an honest person how you will repel those people and you will attract people of stronger character. You can't save everybody. And one of the things that I've learned in life is you can't save anybody without an element of fear. And what I mean by that is if a person has no fear, if they don't even fear for their own life, if they don't fear for their own property, they don't fear for their own relationships, if they simply don't care, and I have been there, right? We all have at some point. 
when you live a life without fear, it's difficult to be saved from the negative behavior. If you don't value your own life, it's difficult. Now, it's, there's a different part of that today for me because I used to just not care. There's a difference, right? I, I just didn't care about what happened to me. I didn't care what happened to other people. And uh, I was content to die at a young age because I just simply didn't care. Now it's different. There's a, I, I don't have any fear today about what's next because I know the life that I'm leading. I know the things that I'm involved with. I know the character uh, that I try to exhibit in all things, uh, in all my affairs these days. And so I don't have this fear of somebody coming up and snaking me in the back. I don't, I don't worry about that because here's what I know. I've lived long enough to know this. If anybody picks up and chooses to leave my life, they will be replaced by somebody equal or better. I know this because I have seen it. There is not a relationship out there, work-related, person-related, friendship, whatever. There is not a relationship out there that is worth me sacrificing who I am. There is not a relationship out there that is more valuable to me than my life. And then people say, well, Steve, what about your kids? Well, I would, I would die for any of my kids right now. If it came down to that, chances are that's not going to happen. But I'm not going to sacrifice the rest of my life over a temporary relationship. There's a lot of that that happens. It's like, well, you know, I mean, they're so cute. And, you know, that, that when, when things are great, things are great. But when things are rotten, they're rotten. And there's always some ebb and flow and up and downs and working relationships and romantic relationships. I mean, there always is. There are no perfect ones. No matter what anybody puts on Facebook and Instagram, there are no perfect ones. I run into people all the time, like you see them, you see all their pictures on Instagram and everybody looks so happy and everything so so lovely. And you get them aside and you think, man, I think I'm done. What? Yeah, I think I'm done. What's going on? Well, man, when this is going on, this is going on, you think, are you kidding me? I would have never known. Of course, because everybody wants to put their best foot forward. Everybody wants to put the best foot forward. And so, again, it's about this life of dishonesty. I'm not saying go out there and, and uh, you know, you know, put uh, put all your business on social media. I'm not, I'm not an advocate of that either. But I think the best thing is is to find a way to be honest with yourself, with everybody around you. As they tell us, and it's on the back of the chips, right? To thine own self be true. To thine own self be true. And the reason it's on the chips is because it's difficult for us. It's difficult for us to remember that we matter. We matter. Our thoughts matter. Our feelings matter. Our actions matter. Our lives matter. To thine own self, be true. And so I encourage you today, be true to yourself by being honest with yourself and to those around you. And you will soon find that everything in life is impacted in a positive way. We talk about rigorous honesty, and you can look that up. You know, what's the word rigorous mean? You know, basically, it means that I'm going to be honest in all efforts and all endeavors. I'm going to do what I have to do and be honest about it. And I'm going to live with those consequences and live with those decisions. But there is not much in life that is way more wasteful than a life of dishonesty. So I encourage you not to live that way any longer. It's going to do it for today. No matter what you're going through, no matter where you are, you're not alone. 
because I'm right there with you. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.